Is orally taking in NAD as good as IV? I don't believe so. We are making progress in terms of precursor compounds, NMN, nicotinamide, riboside, that theoretically have a high probability of impact. But like I said, if we can get it intravenously or intramuscularly, avoid the first pass effect, know that it's sterilely compounded pharmaceutical grade, I think anything is probably better via those delivery mechanisms than orally administered. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the HVMN podcast. And I'm your host, Dr. Lat Mansour, a PhD in physiology, anatomy, and genetics, and the research lead of health via modern nutrition. And if you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave a review. And if you have any question, leave us a comment. And as always, we appreciate it if you can share it with a friend. Now, without further ado, let's get into this episode of HVMN podcast. Hi, this is Dr. Lat Mansour, your host on Health via Modern Nutrition podcast. And in this episode, we have Dr. Ryan Green with us, who is the medical director and co-founder of Monarch Athletic Club, amongst many hats that he wears. Thank you for coming on HVMN Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. Yeah. So I'm very excited to speak to you and talk about, first first and foremost, obviously, Monarch Athletic Club. It's such a special concept that I think a lot of people love to hear about. And also want to hear about your, you know, your story and your take on the current healthcare system and health and fitness industry. It's a lot. <clears throat> yeah, I have plenty to say. So where would you like me to begin? Well, before we start, let's yeah, have a absolutely. shot of Ketone IQ, uh, you know, the HVMN welcoming party. It's amazing. So. It's the only shot I'll take. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, that tastes that tastes a lot better. Yeah, so this is our, our improved flavor. Definitely. Um, so yeah, so let's start with talking about your background, like who Great. you are, where you you know where you came from to to where you are today. Sure. So uh, I grew up in the Midwest and um, always had an interest and passion in science. When I was oddly enough working at a golf course when I was a kid, I. Uh, I was probably in my mid-teens, around 16. Crazy story, a a, a young gentleman got hit in the forehead with a golf club, collapsed his frontal bone, and it was quite hectic. And something like that spark in me, which was like, you can either get grossed out here, or what actually happened was like, how do you treat this? What are the next steps? That was the ignition for the rest of my life. So (coughs) from that point forward, I took every opportunity to try to get exposed to the medical field, every internship, and then ultimately that led me to studying exercise physiology, immunology, and human nutrition at University of Illinois, followed by a master's degree uh, in the same field. I focused on mild traumatic brain injury, so I got a little mental health in there and also how nutrition impacts our immune system, kind of at the at the time where like the blood-brain barrier was being discovered. So I didn't realize it at the time, but it was a, a very pivotal moment in the understanding of not only how the, the brain functions, but the systemic connection between the two. And then decided to go to medical school and ultimately chose the osteopathic route because in my mind, I wanted to be in sports medicine and being able to learn the, the manipulation techniques that osteopaths typically learn spoke to me. Ultimately, I ended up deciding going into the, the surgical space and went out to Dartmouth for my residency. And it was at that point where I realized, like, what am I actually doing? with my life. I'm, I'm not really helping people heal. 
spending most of my time with people with chronic diseases who don't want to be there, but they also are not willing to learn or don't have the access to education on how to keep them out of the hospital system. But it was this crisis of, well, I don't want to be here, but what else do I do? I'm already you know, graduated medical school, got a lot of loans. So I ended up doing a fellowship at Mayo Clinic, more in clinical sports medicine. I thought maybe academia was, was my space, similar to your background, and realized anything in the preventive medical space was going to be difficult to fund because it's not as profitable as something that's proprietary or patentable. But when I was at Mayo Clinic, I went to Mall of America, which if you haven't been, it's worth a trip. Long story short, it's a massive space where people all through the Midwest go to vacation because they're shopping, there's food, there's water parks, there's lodging. And it, it just kind of clicked in my head, like, why don't we have a place like this for health where it's a one-stop shop? Like people want convenience, they want easy access, they want value. And so that's when the idea for Monarch kind of started formulating in my head. Q to uh, one of my really good friends who's a very successful personal trainer and my now partners wanted to create kind of a private members club for fitness. He reached out because he's a little bit more science minded and said, how do we add a little bit more sports medicine to this? And I just like, I just so happened to have pitched this idea to Mayo Clinic and I think it would work, especially in LA. So that was about six years ago. I flew out, pitched the idea and you know, the rest is history. So the idea for Monarch is essentially, um, I think the health and wellness space is very complicated. It's difficult to navigate, especially, you know, the nutrition aspect alone. There's thousands of people with thousands of programs and diets and people have a difficult time. So oftentimes what they do is just what they know. What we wanted to do is say, nothing that we're doing is sexy, trendy, you know, uh, super specific, but what we will offer you is a space that as long as you show up, you have access to preventive medicine, unlimited personal training, unlimited physical therapy, unlimited access to our nutrition team in a space that feels like a high-end wellness club. So in, a, in my opinion, I think the, the world of health and fitness is kind of like luxury cars where you assume if you pay more, you get more, when in actuality, that's not really true. So what we wanted to do is create a high-value easily accessible, comprehensive program for a relatively low cost, but ultimately high value. And so the beauty of the model is anyone at any point in their health journey, pre-op, post-op, general population can come in and we create a customized program for you amongst all of those foundational uh, components. And in my opinion, if we can continue to replicate, which we plan on doing, by allowing people just to get their foundational health behaviors solidified, we should see significant progress in terms of reducing the chronic uh, disease burden that we experience in the United States, decrease the amount of healthcare spending, because when you're sleeping well, moving well, your metabolic health dialed in, how your fueling is optimized, your body should thrive. And I think, you know, there's no shortage of people who are very intelligent with podcasts and, and larger platforms that are full of knowledge on like supplements and training programs that are probably successful. But the fundamental flaw is they are assuming the people that are adopting these practices sleep enough, eat well, drink enough water, exercise regularly. And the truth is they don't like the world health organization estimates less than 20% of the global population meets minimum movement standards. And that's exercise. Compound that with 
lack of sleep, stress, poor nutrition, you see why we are where we are. So our approach with Monarch is as long as you show up and participate, we will make sure that the, the critical components of what allows your body to thrive are addressed. And as long as you do it, you should live a long and healthy life. And, and that's the problem with us these days, right? Before the, the age of internet, we didn't have enough information. And now we have too much information. We're paralyzed by it. Absolutely. And in fact, we spend more time consuming information than actually applying 100%. that information. And, and it's great to have a place where you can actually go, go to and get the guidance you need. And plus you can actually apply it on site. Exactly. So you've covered quite a lot here and, yeah. and, and I have so many questions. Great. You know, let's start with, you know, just your your background itself. Like I see I can see from your, you know, scrub this says um DO, right? Mm -hmm. I, I'm sure a lot of people also are curious, what's the difference between M D and sure. DO? It's a good question. So uh the DO field started two hundred and fifty years ago ish. Uh by, by an MD, an allopathic physician, who felt that if you could allow your body to move well, maintain adequate blood flow, uh, it should heal itself. The body has all the tools to heal itself. We just don't do what we need to do to allow the body to thrive. Q to when I was in, in medical school, the fields are very similar. The difference primarily is most osteopathic medical students have to take 200 hours of coursework in their training, understanding what's called osteopathic manipulative therapy, essentially similar to what physical therapists and chiropractors study, how to use your hands to facilitate some sort of treatment. When I went into my surgical residency, it was at an allopathic institution because we take the same board exams. And I essentially never thought about those manipulative you know, uh, treatments ever again, which is a little bit unfortunate. And now the fields have essentially merged. So the difference other than that extra education and a little bit of a, a different philosophy in terms of how we approach the body are essentially the same. But in other parts of the world, DOs are very much more quote unquote holistic. They think about how can we heal with natural uh, treatments, food, movement, and, and so forth. But in the US, things are, are pretty similar these days. So it's not unusual to see you know, a neurosurgeon who's a DO, family practice, OBGYN, like you'll see them everywhere. And uh, there's more and more osteopathic institutions opening in the U.S. So there's an increasing uh, percentage of, of DOs that are practicing physicians in the U.S. I see. And, and MD just sees it differently or? It's basically the same. Like the qualification? Same qualification, same board exam, same tests. I see. A little bit more biochemical focus, a little bit more. I don't even want to say scientific because science is such a broad term, but um, their education and uh, coursework just doesn't include that that hands-on component. So that's that's the big difference. Um, and then you mentioned about your interest in traumatic brain injury. Yes. And then this is a, a really big topic because I know NFL um, have been really trying to put a lot of effort in research sure. in, in minimizing TBI and mitigating the damage caused by traumatic brain injury. And obviously the military as well. Yeah. And um, I'm curious to hear your thoughts around the metabolic dysfunction and metabolic deficiency in an acute phase of TBI sure. as well as a chronic phase. I've got my thoughts around it, but I would like to hear your thoughts around it. First. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, the mechanism of injury acute phase you know, obviously impact is, is important, but 
the subsequent inflammatory response, I think, is probably one of the most significant contributors to not only short-term but long-term impact. Interestingly, and part of one of the things that we do with Monarch is part of our, our medical onboarding and continuing care, we're looking a lot at hormone health because we are finding our lifestyles are so not conducive with maintaining a high level of physical and mental health that hormone production, like testosterone's a, an easy one. You know, our current average testosterone levels compared to 60 years ago are about half of what they used to be. Do we need less? No. But we're finding, and there's a, a physician named Dr. Mark Gordon who's doing incredible work with TBI recovery in the military and athlete population who literally just optimizes hormone health, thyroid, testosterone, estrogen. And people are finding massive improvement in symptoms not only associated with cognitive functioning, but mood improvement, reduced incidence of depression and things like that, PTSD in the military population. Because hormones are neurosteroids. Like they have a physical impact, but they also feed back and impact how our, our brain functions. What specific hormones are we, uh, we Testosterone is a big one, um, but estrogen too. So like balancing estrogen levels. Progesterone is huge in terms of helping with sleep and balancing out kind of like the activating activity of testosterone and estrogen. Right. Um, growth hormone, IGF, uh, things like that. Because if you think about it, head injury, all of the signals that lead to downstream production and expression of hormones come from the brain, hypothalamus, pituitary. So if you impact the brain or if you create an inflammatory environment, whether that's from trauma or, or even just unhealthy living, lack of sleep, poor diet, it shouldn't be a surprise that the rest of our physiologic system, which takes its cues from here, are going to be impacted and usually in a, in a negative way. So what we're doing is trying to help people to understand, again, like if you look at what your, your body's telling you, which is why we do metabolic testing every three months, including hormones, markers of inflammation, and what you're putting into your body, because that's something most people do two to three times a day. If those things are dialed in, your cognitive function, your brain health should sustain a high level. Or if it's initially performing suboptimally, it should have the opportunity to heal as long as we create the environment for it to do so. And sometimes we need supplemental support, mm -hmm. nutritional support, hormones, things like that. So um, you mentioned I wear many hats. One of the things I, I do offshore and soon to be onshore is a lot of work with plant medicine, psilocybin, things like that, ketamine. And uh, we have found that, you know, again, there are other opportunities to help people with the sequela of traumatic brain injury or just trauma in general through optimizing how they live and also utilizing some supplements that are now becoming you know, legal in the United States and have been legal elsewhere. So there's a lot of cool stuff that's happening. Our goal with what we're doing with Monarch is because we're considered a medical facility, we truly have a 360 degree scope in terms of what we can offer because it's medically directed. Therefore, we can do movement practice, nutrition practice. We can do hormone optimization, the medical aspect, preventive medicine. But one, one thing we're launching in 2023 is called Monarch Mind, which is essentially our mental health Mm. optimization program because I feel very strongly if we are addressing an individual's health without thinking about mind and body, we are doing you a disservice because a lot of people have mental health issues, secondary to trauma, diet, whatever, 
And then they cope by physical behaviors that temporarily improve a condition, mood or whatever. So and someone can look physically healthy, but could be completely messed up mentally. Again, and like recent, you know, uh, current events, DJ Twitch. Like yes. Uh, yeah. No one knew, right? No and you never know. So what we want to do is increase our scope in terms of how we're evaluating people and also the services that we can offer because a lot of folks want to get healthier, but whether it's, you know, a physical behavior or some sort of, uh, mental component that is not in, in harmony, we should be able to offer those things to you in mm -hmm. one place so that you don't have to hop around and try to piece it together because health is relatively simple, but we make it very complicated. And if you're not an educated individual, and you're trying to go from appointment to appointment, your practitioners aren't communicating with each other, you're not educated like we are. So how are you, you going overwhelmed. to Yeah, how are you going to, to amass all this data and try to figure out what's the actual best next step for me? So we wanted to kind of reverse engineer the process and say, you really don't have to think as long as you show up, we are going to show you the best way we think you will, you know, the best pathway for you to achieve optimal health. So, so you mentioned the hormonal system, the endocrine yeah. system, and, and TBI. Let's talk about substrate utilization for a sec. And I'm going. I'm only going technical because I know you. You know yeah. you. You are. So, so you may yeah. go too technical. <laughs> you don't have to help me out. I've I've read s s uh, uh, some literature around um, hyper glucose metabolism during the acute phase of TBI, sure. and then as a long term downstream effect you get a hypometabolism of glucose, which means you get a decrease in deficiency right. in glucose. Do you think ketones, whether endogenous or exogenous ketones, have, has a role to play in either mitigating um, damage of TBI or improving symptoms midterm to long-term? Uh, I think it has a, it's very promising. So um, to be Completely honest, I don't think until groups like you have offered the opportunity to to effectively expose ourselves to high quality ketone products, I think it's been very difficult to figure out if that source of substrate utilization will be effective because maintaining a you know a, a maintaining ketosis is very difficult for people. So I don't think we give ourselves the greatest opportunity to truly examine what's the impact of this source of fuel in terms of healing, reducing inflammation. I think in the population that's been well studied with, you know, ketone utilization, folks with brain cancer and, uh, you know, obesity, I think utilizing ketones for fuel have been very effective, but what are the other sources and other opportunities that we can use these types of fuel to help facilitate healing or recovery? I just think we haven't had a, a good source to effectively evaluate until, now and what you guys are doing. And um, so I suspect there is a high likelihood that they can be supportive, especially in the acute and chronic phase. Do I know exactly how that mechanism works? I don't, but that's why you do what you do. So. Yeah. Um, and by the way, Dr. Ryan Green is not being paid to say no, this. Absolutely and this not. is completely 100%. his independent opinion as a physician, as you know, yeah. as a medical I'm, expert. I'm not a huge supplement guy. I believe 100% the body has the ability inherently to heal itself. Yep. Um, that being said, if we have opportunities to help support, yeah. um, that's, I think in the new, I see all the time people coming in, I'm on, 10, 15, 20 supplements because I heard someone talk about it or my doc gave it to me. And I'm just like, quality's poor. Like, how are these things working together? So 
yeah, like that's a totally. We we actually published a paper earlier this year, uh, a review paper looking at potential use of ketones and lactate. Mm-hmm. As intervention for TBI and as an extension sure. to any cognitive impairment diseases such as Alzheimer's. Yeah. So um, I'll try and uh, I'll, I'll link the the paper in the description as well. Um, so you talked about measuring biomarkers yes. at, at Monarch, you know, and inflammatory biomarkers and all that, and and that's super interesting because we know there is an upregulation of inflammation with brain injury, for example. And, and we know ketones have that sort of anti-inflammatory um, sure. effect. But let's switch gears and talk about intermittent fasting for Great. a second. If people are, if your clients or customers are going through uh, intermittent fasting or just extended fasting period to achieve autophagy, do you have the capacity to measure uh, biomarkers that show that they are going through autophagy and what are they? We don't quite yet. And to be honest... Um Part of the reason why we haven't made the, our foray into that field is because compliance is very difficult. So there's a couple things that I like to call what we're doing practical health. Like what what can I get the, the general population to do? And it's hard to get our population, which I think is representative of, of the majority of, of general population, to stick with something consistently enough that we can generate valuable data. Uh, so we haven't dove into those markers per se. Um, what we typically utilize is, you know, the, the oddly enough things that aren't necessarily checked in traditional family practice exams like CRP. We're looking at A1C, obviously, for diabetes, chronic disease risk. Um, lipo, uh, lipoprotein A, just because we want to understand what's your baseline risk of uh, cardiovascular disease, apolipoprotein B is a new one that's also associated with uh, general inflammation in your system. Um, so those are the big ones that we can easily access right now. And again, like what I'm thinking about is how can we generate the most amount of information within the system as it currently exists? And all these things are insurance subsidizable, which we have the ability to utilize. So we don't really have a population right now that is compliant enough to allow us to really create that subset of people that would generate valuable data. One of the things we're doing, though, is this uh, idea that I had called uh, Monarch Health Benefits, which is essentially like part of the reason people struggle with any health program is their, um, their visceral why, like, why am I doing this? And for most people, especially with health, they don't change behavior unless something catastrophic happens or they get something for it. So if they're gonna participate in the study, they get supplements, they get money, something like that. But for the most part, most people just kind of do whatever they're comfortable with and familiar with, and then they just chalk up why they may, don't make progress to, don't have time, you know, whatever. So what we did is we created a program that allows us to say, hey, if you hit these certain KPIs, we are gonna give you money to allow you to one, have a reward kind of like gamification so you stick with the program which will then allow us to create a population that we can pull more meaningful data from where we could then do a study looking at those markers because we we understand that we'll be able to have a greater subject population greater power in terms of what we're doing and more meaningful and valuable data so it's essentially a way to allow people to choose to be compliant because one they get a reward two they're going to feel better but then ultimately allows us to create a subject pool that that 
will lead to more beneficial data that we can use to support why we're doing what we're doing. So do you guys conduct clinical trials um, as well? or, or We have not yet. So uh, our first location was 100, 100% proof of concept. Mm-hmm. As we open up more locations, because everything's medically directed, it's overseen by a, uh, a, ph- a physician or a medical professional, we will have the ability to start to deploy uh, studies and looking at basically anything we want because we will have more locations and, and we'll, ha- we'll, ge- we'll be able to generate higher power data, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, so absolutely. It's in, it's in our roadmap. Um, the tough part, too, is like being at Mayo, you have IRB. You understand how that is. Like We are not large enough, unfortunately, to really like tap into those sources to allow anything that we publish to have a high probability of, of being published just because we don't have the same scientific advisory resources that other groups do, but someday we'll hopefully be able to piggyback off of some larger institutions and do some collaborative work there. Right. And, and for you listeners, IRB is like a review board that you need to basically get approval from if you want to run human clinical trials. So that's how we keep, you know, uh, the standard practice, make sure everything is safe, make sure the criteria, inclusion, exclusion are fair and uh, making sure that there's no serious adverse effect that is known, you know, that, that will occur. So um, let's talk about nutrition for a second. Great. Um, you spoke about nutrition and how Monarch um, Athletic Club also provide nutrition services. Do you guys just give a meal plan? Do you guys actually provide the food? Do you, how, how do you guys give uh, offer? That's a great question. So the way I approach nutrition is uh, the best plan for you is the one that someone can stick with. So our population is highly variable. Some people will stick with a macro program. Some people will work with a meal plan. Our nutrition team can do all of those things. And then we also have partners uh, that do meal delivery services that are nutrient dense. Uh, we know the caloric uh, component so that we can kind of take that and, and build it into the meal plan that we devise for the individual for less cost than Postmates Uber Eats going out. To Is eat. that going to be part of the fees? So it's, uh, it's not part of the fees yet, but at some point it might be. Um, yeah, so some at some point it so might at, be. So at this point, a, a, a person go, that goes to Monarch can essentially live there. Yeah, they can work amazing. there, they can work out there, they can see their doctors there, they can eat there. Yeah, we have a lot of people that spend a lot of time and come multiple times a day because they can train, they can get medical treatment, they can do IVs, they, we have sauna and cold plunges. So we have a lot of people that previously thought they were too busy to take care of themselves that all of a sudden we're seeing three, four, or five hours a day and they're still able to execute the functions of their life. Um we don't have the capacity in our West Hollywood location to provide food services, but it is 100% on the roadmap because we would love to be able to say, you know, hey, Dr. Mansoor, this is your Monarch meal program. We're literally going to make it here and you can pick it up breakfast, lunch and dinner. Uh, but that's basically like a, a restaurant and a food service company. And we didn't have the resources to execute that off the jump, but it's something that we know is valuable. In the interim, there's plenty of high quality, low cost meal delivery services that can be utilized. So what we do is excuse me, put a plan together and then our nutrition team, because you have unlimited access to them, can follow up with you on a daily basis and just mm-hmm. say, what are we doing today? Did this work? Did this not? Did we, you know, 
doing anything. Were we just. compliant? Yeah. So it's been pretty cool. So speaking <coughs> of IV, what <coughs> is your most popular sort of IV treatment? Yeah. Uh, I would say Myers cocktail. Uh, it's pretty standard uh, composition of vitamins. We have a lot of people in LA that travel a lot, work a lot, uh, burn the candle at both ends. So when I talk about supplements, the way that I, I think about their value and efficacy is if it's injectable, that's great. IV is number one, intramuscular is number two, liquid would be number three, just based on what we know in terms of absorption and bioavailability. That's exactly why I wanted to ask about IV, because I wanted to ask more about NAD. Yeah, I love so it. NAD, NAD plus, sort of NAD precursors. We know that it has been around for a while now. A lot of people are talking about it. Some people are really, you know, standing by the effect of it. Is, is orally taking in NAD as good as IV? I don't believe so. I think we are making progress in terms of precursor compounds, NMN, nicotinamide, riboside, that theoretically have a high probability of impact. But like I said, if we can get it intravenously or intramuscularly, avoid the first pass effect, know that it's sterilely compounded pharmaceutical grade, I think anything is probably better via those delivery mechanisms than orally administered. I would like to take this opportunity to acknowledge our sponsors of this show, Ketone IQ, the best exogenous ketone you can take to elevate your blood ketone levels. I personally take it every day before a podcast to wire my brain up, before and after my workout to really feel my body. So give yourself a chance, take a shot, and you will feel the difference within minutes. So head over to hvmn.com and use the code HVMNPOD20, that is HVMNPOD20, for 20% off your purchase and enjoy your ketone IQ and give your brain the perfect fuel. Yeah. And and just for clarification, <coughs> NAD is, you know, we prov- we, we produce NAD via uh, part of our sort of respiration uh, system. We, through gly- glycolysis, Krebs cycle, we produce NAD, um, and then, you know, NAD and NADH, they will just sort of go through the electron micro, uh, electron mic- uh, electron, can't even speak today. Transport chain. Electron transport chain, thank go. you. Yeah. That was biochemistry 101. So electron transport chain and, and creates ATP, which is energy. So what research have shown is that as we age, the ratio of NAD to NADH changes as well. And then, you know, people, as you know, we know humans, supplementation, why not we re, sort of re-up the, you know, one pull over the other so that we get the ratio back to normal and help with longevity. So that's why it's so popular because many people really stand by the effect of NAD, especially when it comes to energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have had people who has gone through, who have gone through uh, NAD IV for five days. Yeah. Um, it's not the cheapest treatment, but right after you know recovering from COVID, they really felt the significant difference of you know, improvement in energy as well. <clears throat> that's the other thing, like peeking behind the curtain is the cost of, of NAD in itself is not actually that expensive, which is one of the things that we aim to change in terms of how we're delivering healthcare, which is you shouldn't have to pay seven, $800 for an NADIV because it doesn't cost that much. It's effective and unfortunately people choose not to do it because it's a significant factor whether you're wealthy or not. So every treatment that we offer, every IV 
if it's not included in your membership, which there's not many things that are not. Is NAD included? It's not. It's not. <laughs> but we don't charge, you know, we charge like 250 300 for an NAD IV, which is significantly more affordable. Actually, Therefore, a thousand dollars. Right. Therefore, you're likely to do it and follow a protocol that's reasonable because it's not going to, you know, potentially mitigate your risk of paying rent the following month. Now, does it make a difference if someone does NADIV for a day versus five days? Uh, I think five day protocols are optimal. Mm-hmm. I think with anything in health, one and done is very rarely that effective. It's like saying I'm going to exercise one day and all my health issues are going to be fixed. I think if you're going to do a protocol, you should do it appropriately, which usually requires more frequent administration. And with NAD, it's over a shorter period of time. So if you're going to do it, I would try to do it based on on the data that we have available, which would indicate, you know, five to 10 sessions. Um, from your sort of bio, I also read that you're doing something with Therabody. Yes. Therabody. Yes. Uh, can you talk a bit about that? I'd love to. So Therabody uh, started with Theragun, and then they have since grown. So it used to be called Theragun. Now it's called Therabody because they offer a suite of services that include the guns, uh, stim devices, uh, cupping, TheraFace, which was, I think, voted one of the top 20 inventions of 2022. So it's essentially a Theragun for your face that also includes microcurrent, uh, cold, hot, ultraviolet exposure. It's amazing. If uh, like, Do you have amazing. to, can you buy it off uh, online? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Absolutely, yeah. So it's, it's just like a little handheld travel device. They launched uh, their smart goggles, which are pretty cool. It's a headwear device that has, is completely light occlusive, but it also has compression, stimulation, vibra- uh, compression, vibration, and heat around the first two uh, branches of your trigeminal nerve. And it actually has a biometric sensor over your temporal artery so that you can pair it with a meditative track and you can look at how your heart rate increases or decreases, basically like how successful were you in terms of meditation. We have them at, at Monarch, and people just toss on the compression boots that Therabody also has. They'll toss on the smart goggles, and they will be in a zen state like very quickly. So that's Therabody, uh, big picture. They also launched these clinics that allow for people to experience their various devices and also utilize medically-directed services, including NAD, IVs, uh, eventually peptides, and a couple other things from the mental health space. So... Uh, I serve as the medical director, making sure all their protocols are optimized and that everything's delivered with the highest medical standards. So it's kind of like a mix of retail and medicine. Um, So people can come in, have treatments done. They offer cryo and hyperbaric as well. So you can get that recovery component uh, dialed in. And at Monarch, we're not going to do cryo and hyperbaric for a couple different reasons, but uh, primarily cost. So it's nice. Even Our Brentwood location, which we're opening in January, actually has a reset 200 meters down the road. So again, like a member at Monarch club will be able to go to the the facility. And then if they want cryo, they just walk down the street. If they want hyperbaric, they just walk down the street. So, um, it's pretty cool. And the nice thing about Therabody too, is, um, all of their devices are, most of their devices are considered FDA approved medical devices. So there's a roadmap for insurance subsidies, subsidization there that we're exploring as well. Because make a lot of difference, huge difference, because again, like what people need are practical tools that mm-hmm. will allow them to administer 
and execute healthy behaviors on a daily basis. And um, by no means is just using a TheraBody device going to overcome many poor lifestyle choices, but it can be helpful. And they just happen to have very high quality products. Let's talk about the th- TheraFace yes. thing, yeah. device for a second. Yeah. I'm still digesting. Pivot. So so yeah. is it is it like a device that do you make you- it, Do you make want me to pull it up on my phone so you can see it? Yeah, sure. I mean, does it basically like you have a device that punches your face? Basically, uh, does it feel like that? No, it doesn't feel like okay. that. So you definitely cannot use a Theragun on your face. Yeah, please do not there use Theragun yeah. on your face. So okay, yeah, it's small, it's handheld, and it's the amplitude and the pressure that it provides is appropriate to not cause facial trauma. But it has what? a bunch of different attachments, so you yeah. can do. There's a cold ring, there's a hot ring, there's a microcurrent component, there's a microderm abrasion, so it can help with exfoliation. So it's literally a multi-tool device that just happened to be designed because people are like, I have tension in my temporalis, like I can't use my Theragun, what do I do? So that was the stimulation for the the initial concept and right. then they, they figured out more. So things. the initial concept is for relaxation? <coughs> Would you yeah, say relaxation so. yeah. if you face muscles? Muscle tension. Yep. Okay, yeah. cool. I'm. Let's talk about Monarch Mind for yes. a sec. Mental Beautiful. health. Let's talk about psilocybin, psychedelics. Yes. Love it. Um, you know, we at HVMN, we, we did look at, you know, usage because ketone plays such a big role in blood brain barrier yeah. and, and entering the brain. Yeah. Not only energetics, you know, providing ATP directly to the brain and to, to mitochondria in the neurons, but also uh, its role in signaling. Yes. Right. Um, and relaxation via the GABAergic pathway, enzolytic and all that. But one can't really look at brain energetics without looking at also psychiatric disorders Correct. with PTSDs and all that. Because yeah. a lot of times, these psychiatric disorders, and, and more so than ever now, like Dr. Chris Palmer talked yeah. on Huberman podcast, um, that psychiatric disorders is closely linked to metabolic dysfunction. Correct. Um, so let's talk at, let's talk about Monarch Mind, you know, the vision mission, sure. and then, and then we'll dive deep into the medical side of sure. using psychedelics. Yeah. <clears throat> so, um, there's a really good book for everyone who's listening called the angel and the assassin. I don't know if you've read it, but you should, when you have time, yeah. uh, by Donna Jackson, Nokazawa, I believe. And it's all about microglia. So the understanding that microglia were for a long time thought is kind of like a redundant mechanism in the brain, a cell that we didn't really know what it did. <clears throat> Turns out it's basically the, the white blood cell of the brain and it can be stimulated via many different things, direct impact trauma, but also peripheral inflammation. So once we discovered that the, the brain wasn't actually immune privileged from our systemic physiology, we started to see that depending on, the conditions in which we uh, live our daily lives, a lot of our physical health decisions, what we put into our body, food, drink, and otherwise, are impacting or exacerbating mental health conditions. So what can we do to minimize inflammation in the brain via ketones, other mechanisms? <clears throat> and there's plenty that are being investigated. So um, what I appreciated in our three years of, of existing as Monarch is a lot of the reason why people cannot maintain healthy behaviors has nothing to do with access because we've given them access, unlimited access, but there's usually something 
that is functioning at a, at a neurologic level, and you could call it mind, you could call it emotion, spirit, whatever, that is prohibiting them from sustaining some sort of healthy behavior, lack of belief, you know, whatever that looks like. So um, I felt like we were not offering or not doing our patients due diligence by not having some sort of mental health offering. And with the emergence of these new therapies, such as ketamine and psilocybin MDMA that are, that are coming, cannabis, I felt we have a unique opportunity as a medical facility with comprehensive medical oversight to integrate mental health treatments with physical health improvement. So if we believe that we are an integrated system, which we should, everything matters, how you move, how you sleep, how you eat, but then also how you, you take care of your brain. So uh, for a lot of people, part of the reason that we, we want to focus on the mental health component is, is what's underneath the surface, what's in that, you know, the, the subconscious mind, kind of the, the earlier developed aspects of the brain that may be contributing to impacted dopamine production or, you know, some sort of GABAergic response that's prohibiting us from, you know, achieving the happiness and joy that, that we hope to achieve or preventing us from falling back into coping mechanisms that we know provide temporary satisfaction, but not long-term, you know, results. And so we have the ability to offer curated therapies with necessary support in terms of the therapeutic and, and the, the treatment needed in between, you know, various different mental health sessions, in addition to the physical health that I think will allow us to offer a significant, significant benefit to the general public. And, and Monarch Mind too is, is something that we envision can also be a standalone offering so that people can go to a facility and achieve the principal aspects of what we're going to be doing there, which will be, you know, mental health treatments, IVs, hormone optimization, follow-up integration work and, 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 uh, therapy assistance but then kind of be like a funnel that says, hey, like we're glad that you're here and we're glad that you're taking care of your mental health. You should also think about what you're doing with your body because those things work together and vice versa. People that may come to a Monarch Club assume that everything upstairs is, is great. And when they go down the, the path of their program, we continue to find they, they will not be compliant or they, you know, for whatever reason, are, are continuing to participate in behaviors that are deleterious to their overall health outcome. Then we can say, hey, like, kind of notice that you're dealing with a lot of stress or you have a family history of some sort of, you know, trauma. Like let's talk about that too, because that's an important part of your overall physical health program. Um, and you know, whether that's, you know, utilization of ketone products to help for people who may have had a recent, you know, injury or more acute issue, the scope is broad. What's nice about what we're doing with Monarch is we can essentially do anything because we, we have that medical oversight and then that allows us to line up amenities underneath what we're doing. So I'm super excited about it. And uh, it's going to be part of Monarch Clubs moving forward. And I think it will also, you know, we'll have some standalone presence too that will offer affordable, high value mental health therapy versus, like you mentioned, these effective therapies that are cost prohibitive when they don't need to be. Because I know what the cost is of all these things. And I know that in order for people to be successful, they need to do them consecutively. And if you have to choose between putting food on your table or taking care of your mental health, nine times out of 10, you're going to go the pharmaceutical route and take a Prozac or an SSRI, which ultimately isn't solving anything. It's just prolonging 
you know, this underlying condition. So fixing the symptom and not addressing the hundred percent. And yeah. even, even, even with the, the pharmaceutical space, I believe the data on, uh, our current, uh, cache of, of mental health medications, like in best case scenario, 30% of people will notice symptom improvement. That's just symptom. We're not healing anything. We're just 30% of people feel a little bit better, not considering the side effects versus a lot of these newer therapies, psychedelics and otherwise, are looking like they have curative potential at a high percentage that's sustained for a decent period of time. Like that's amazing. So I'm excited about that. That is really amazing and, and very novel as well. Um, especially for people who are not in the area, not in mm -hmm. the medical field. So what exactly is the difference? You know, is, is, is the difference just micro dosing because, you know, we know that people who, abuse these substance yeah. who develop addiction to these substance who you know have gone through all of this uh, sort of struggle with it and then on the other hand it shows beneficial um aspect of these substance is it just the different doses or what what is going on here so to answer that question um i believe set and setting as well as dose is important so what are you doing why are you doing it who are you doing it with? How is it being monitored is very important. Same thing like, you know, there's a there's a point of diminishing returns with anything. Like your product's amazing, but if people are just drinking it all day, every day, like you're probably going to appreciate a negative health outcome. Like there's, there's a dose that's appropriate. And I think we're trying to figure that out in terms of what are protocols that are reasonable that we can then extrapolate for the general population. Right now, obviously, because it's it's not legal, but plenty of people are doing it. There are dosing ranges that are recommended for microdose, macrodose, but the type of mushrooms, the quality, who you're doing it with, why you're doing it, uh, all absolutely matters. And that's where we're going to have to figure out, especially once this becomes more widely available, is how do we not, how uh, uh, do I want to say this? How do we not diminish the efficacy by? allowing too much capitalism to influence the utilization, right? So um, in my opinion, the natural product is always going to be superior than something that's synthetically created. But, you know, from a, a financial standpoint, you can't patent nature. So people are certainly going to try to figure out, like, what are the, the, uh, the chemical substrates that they think are most effective, and then you synthesize. And so you know, we'll see what happens, but I think we have an opportunity. And I know for, for instance, like the VA right now is subsidizing ketamine therapy for veterans in the United States because it's very effective and they know it works and they have a huge issue with suicide and, and substance abuse amongst that population with our current treatment modalities. So I'm hopeful that we will be able to set up facilities and centers that are medically directed, scientifically directed, that will allow us to utilize these natural products f with the greatest intention and hopefully the greatest outcome. Uh, the work that I've been doing with, with a group called wake clinics and revitalist wakes based out of Toronto revitalist is a, is a ketamine therapy, uh, company in the Southeast of the United States. We've been going offshore to Jamaica where many, you know, Beckley and other well-known groups are doing psilocybin retreats and, you know, depending on the individual, what they're coming in with, we're trying to make sure that everyone's also participating in hormone optimization prior to the coming to allow the, the physiologic impact to be, to be optimized. Like we're doing macro doses of anywhere from two to 
you know, four or five grams, which is widely variable. And the, the beauty of having things being uh, overseen by a, a medically directed team is one, keep people stay safe, but two, you can also, you know, kind of make sure that the people are, are achieving or hopefully have the greatest opportunity to achieve the intended result, which is kind of a, a restructuring of the, the neuron matrix in the brain that has been shifted to help prevent, you know, any future trauma or, or it's basically a protective mechanism um, that can impact the, you know, it's a, it's a longer form conversation. But um, to your original point, like I believe microdosing has a potential impact. Uh, Macrodosing, I think, for various situations and conditions has a very potential impact. I've seen it in real time in veterans and athletes. Um, how do you quantify it? How do you objectifiably measure it is going to be the, is the next area of exploration. Yeah, so basically it depends on how you use it, where you use it, who you're using it with. You why, know, why you're using why it. Why you're using it. Yeah. Asking for a friend, you know. No. Yeah, yeah, 100%. <laughs> Let's chat. Um, so... You know, one thing that you mentioned that is the set, sad rea reality that we live in, in in today's world is that research needs money. Correct. And because research is driven by money, whatever that comes out of it, the productization of it, it has to drive money back in. And that's why people are seeking molecules that can be patented, Correct. that can be IP'd so that they own the intellectual property so that they can then monetize as well as monopolize the area uh, or the, the therapeutic area that they want to go into. And that's why, you know, and you can quote me on this, and we are determined to have ketone IQ as the best means of ketone delivery, the best way to deliver exogenous ketone into your body. We are not married to RN3-butendiol or, or one specific molecule. We are always looking to improve um, the molecule in terms of the ta taste, in terms of the cost, in terms of how effective, how efficient it is to elevate your blood BHB level. Because I do believe that what we're striving for is the elevated blood BHB level. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you can talk about different molecules all you want in terms of business, right? In terms of taste. Totally. But ultimately, what are you using exogenous ketones for? Yeah. If you're using it for, for performance, if you're using it for relaxation, if you're using it for mental uh, clarity and cognition, then you are looking at the elevation of blood BHB that directly affects your brain energetics, your brain metabolism, as well as your muscle glycogen efficiency, glycogen sparing effects that matters. So, right. you know, so guys, if you are out there researching what exogenous ketones that you can use or you want to use, think about the, the effect, the last sort of the end goal that you're trying to achieve. Think about the use case that you're trying to achieve and choose a product that, and I'm not saying that this, you know, this product is, is for you for sure as a solution that solves everything for you, but choose a product that, you know, like Dr. Ryan Green says, you know, something that you can sustain yourself with, something that you can consistently use and making sure that you are actually giving time for your body to one, react and adapt to it and respond to it, and two, long enough time so that you can measure the objective measures. Because as we scientists and, and doctors, we're always looking at a bigger picture here. And what really matters is what is the objective measure at the end of the day for a prolonged amount of time and how sustainable it is? Correct. 
the way that I think about it with anyone and any product, any intervention is don't even talk to me about how effective it's been unless you've done it for 12 weeks. Like give it three months and then let's chat. We are far too focused on what can I get done in two weeks or, you know, in a day or in a day or <laughs> 30 days. Like there's challenges all over the place. And I, I mentioned it the other day was someone, someone was asking like, why don't we take before and after photos of clients? Because I was just like, because it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like what matters is the after, after what matters is, can you do this for six, 12, 24 months? Can you do this for decades? And those are the things that I think we're kind of missing the boat on in the health space, which is like, can you take ketone IQ once a day for the rest of your life if it works for you? Absolutely. Can you do all these other health behaviors every single day for the rest of your life? Sleep, drink water. Absolutely. Can you afford to do growth hormone for the rest of your life? Probably not. It's like $1,000 a month. So like what we're trying to figure out, same as you, is what's the end goal? How can we effectively allow people to get there? And then also, how can they sustain it? Because ultimately, you know, I read a metric in, in Fit Insider, which demonstrated lifespan and health span. So basically how long we're living and how long we have quality of life. There's a delta of about 15 years, which basically it's crazy, right? Like, can you imagine living 15 years of low quality? Garbage. Yeah. It's just like, no, but a lot of people do. So we have to figure out protocols, interventions that we can do on a regular basis that are not so prohibitive that we continue to perpetuate this cycle that we've created because ultimately it impacts everyone, right? Like everyone's behaviors impact everyone. So, you know, what you're doing, what we're doing is not necessarily sexy. It's relatively simple, but like those are the interventions that everyone can utilize and implement that ultimately yield the highest likelihood that we will achieve healthy uh, and beneficial results. And like, so, you know, coming from the medical space where I was in a world where it's all about devices and treatments and robots and like, which is really, really cool stuff. We're just blind to the fact that outside of this technologic innovation, which is amazing, there are hundreds of millions of people that are hurting because they don't have the simple tools to help them take positive progress, like progressive steps on a daily basis. And that's, that's why we're doing what we're doing, why you're doing what you're doing. And it's super exciting. So, um, you know, like you were mentioning about research, uh, I, 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 it's not an argument, but I have this conversation often with my team, which is all about evidence-based medicine. I'm like, evidence-based medicine is as good as the people that are willing to fund the studies. 